We're in Luke chapter 2, friends. So if you haven't got a Bible, you might want to grab it on your phone. There's a website called Bible Gateway. So I know you've all got a Bible in your pocket, so you can look up BibleGateway.com. We're in Luke chapter 2, a story of Jesus when he was 12. If you want to use a physical Bible, there's a whole bunch of them up the back there. We're in uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 39. I'm going to be reading from verse 39 through to verse 52 this morning. So, so this is Luke's account. So remember, he's following straight on from the Christmas story. So this is, this is uh, the story that we heard last week, uh, basically from... Was anyone here last week, Easter, on Christmas? <laughs> Christmas Day, we heard from Joseph. Uh, this is a continuation of Luke's account. Luke is very clear that he's, he's giving us an account of the, the wondrous things that happen regarding this Jesus of, of Nazareth fellow. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through to 52. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. When they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Friends, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you might bring this passage of Scripture to light for us this morning. Father, we pray that you might help us to see something new in this familiar story to many of us. Father, we pray that you might be using this passage to help us to order our allegiances for the coming year. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said, Amen. Well, this uh, gospel story on this first Sunday after Christmas, it continues to explore Jesus' origin, his, his backstory, as it were, this Jesus, this God-man, 
this, this man who continues to inspire millions and millions, perhaps they say billions around the world, who continues to inspire such hope in so many people's hearts, who's, whose death opened the way to life for us, of course, this Jesus of, of Nazareth, born to a virgin, born in a, in a stable, in a little backwater, in the back of, of nowhere. Who, I mean, who, who exactly was this person? Where did he come from? And why does it, why does it matter? And, and what shaped him? Uh, how did he become who he was? The, the trouble with asking many of these questions, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're keen to know the backstory, if you're keen to know the, the history, is, is that the Gospels give us very scant detail about all of these things. And in fact, quite often, the detail that is there quite often doesn't even agree with itself. So if you're looking for biographical sort of details about Jesus, you're, you're going to be disappointed about four Gospels, of, of course. Only Matthew and Luke give us any story about the birth at all. Mark's Gospel was almost certainly the first of the Gospels to be written, and he doesn't include any story about Jesus' birth at all. He jumps straight into his earthly ministry when he's about age 30. Now, John's Gospel uh, is, is likewise. He does go back in time. In fact, he goes back before the, the dawn of time. John goes back to, uh, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, or the Logos, right? The, the Word, God's Word made flesh. Jesus is the Logos. He's God's Word incarnate, the Word made flesh. He was with God in the very beginning. The beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's exactly right. So, so, so John gives us that, but he, again, he doesn't give us any, any sort of autobiographical details. He jumps, he jumps again straight to Jesus' opening of his ministry when he's about 30 years of age, leaving us only Matthew and, and Luke. The problem, of course, is that the story, the Christmas story that we have in our heads, as Joseph told you last week, is a bit of a mishmash. It's actually a little, bit, a little bit dodgy, really, in the way that we think about it when we put together our, our nativity scenes. Because, for instance, the shepherds and the wise men weren't there together. Uh, Matthew and Luke give us differing accounts of, of what actually happened. Uh, Luke's version of, of events there, well, he has, of course, the shepherds and the angels appearing. And both Matthew and Luke agree that Jesus was born to a virgin, that, that, that he was born in, in Bethlehem after some angelic appearances. But really, that's about it. That's really all they kind of agree on. They give us two different accounts of, of the story, two different, two different versions of the same story. Uh, Matthew knows nothing of the shepherds, for instance. And Luke knows nothing of, of the wise men. Uh, Luke tells us of a flight down, uh, flight down to, to Egypt uh, following, following uh, the, the, the innocence. Herod keen to wipe out any threat to his power. Matthew doesn't, uh, Matthew doesn't um, you know, talk about any of that. But these are conflicting, uh, not conflicting stories. They just give us very different angles. Uh, Matthew tells us that the wise men visited when uh, Mary and Joseph had already set themselves up back in a, in a house in Bethlehem. Luke has Mary and Joseph taking the young boy to the temple on the eighth day, as was the Jewish custom, and there they meet the prophet, the prophetess Simeon and, and Anna, who recognize him as the Christ, and from there he, they head straight home to, to Nazareth. So even the historical details we have, 
will kind of just give you a bit of a, a headache. And if you're looking for stories of his childhood, you won't even get a headache because there is only this, this one story that we have today. Just this one story when Jesus is age 12. He's not yet an adult. It'll be another year before he's considered a man. At age 13, he'll have his bar mitzvah. But at this point, he's still considered to be a child. Now, the story goes that Mary and Joseph were told, as was their custom, they headed down every year to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. This is the first little takeaway, I think, that we can sort of prick our ears up and notice, hang on for a second, this, as was their custom, they went every year. These were committed people. These were faithful people. The Holy Family were, were committed to their faith. Then, as now, there were people that were really committed to following God in their lives and and some for whom it was really just peripheral, like an adult, like a garnish to their life. But the Holy Family here, we're told, it was their custom. They, they headed down and made the pilgrimage, some three to four days, by the way, down to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is a little takeaway for me. It, it, it tells me that, that they were committed to their faith. It never ceases to amaze me. When, when other parents talk to me about how uh, their, their kids know nothing of the faith, how their, their kids are wandering away from the faith, when in fact mum and dad make no effort to prioritise church. You're kidding yourself if you think your children will grow up in the faith if they see mum and dad bumping church and matters of faith down the priority order and really only making the decision to attend if all the other things fall into place, fall into line. I think in 2023, we need to learn from the Holy Family here to, to prioritise being with people of faith, our family of faith that we call the church. Secondly, we, we know that this journey was made with a large group of, of people. On, on the way back, they just assume that Jesus is with somebody else in their party, don't they? They just assume he's with Aunt Miriam, perhaps. This is a large group of people travelling down together, down to Jerusalem from Nazareth, a large caravan of, of people. It reminds me of, of a wonderful saying that it takes a village to raise a child. You can't do it on your own. The church is a community of faith whereby we help each other out. We carry each other's burdens. We, we help each other's struggles. You can't do it on your own. Christianity, following Jesus Christ, is, is not a solo sport. You'll need the church around you. You'll need a family of faith around you doesn't need to be church in the marketplace. If you feel called to, to worship elsewhere, to commit elsewhere, to be sowing in elsewhere, please go uh, with, with my blessing. If you feel called that God is calling you to love and to serve elsewhere, um, please do so. We'll bless you on your way, but you will need to find some sort of a community of faith. I don't care what it looks like, how big it is, what sort of songs they sing, whether they meet in a big church building or in a home or in a warehouse but you will need around you some sort of people to journey with you through life following Jesus Christ as, as Lord. So that's, that's the first little thing, I think, that we can take away from this story. Like that hot coal that if you're removed from the fire, as sure as anything, it will, it will soon grow cold once it's away from the other coals in the fire. 
we need to be uh, alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, committed uh, to, to coming together to help each other along the journey for the year ahead. But the real point of, of this story is really the young Jesus' formation of his identity, of who he was. The real point of this story is to show us his growing sense of identity and purpose and priorities and, and allegiances. So as such, I think it should story should, we should allow it to speak to us in critiquing our own sense of identity, our own priorities, where our own allegiances lie for the coming, for the coming year. Our modern world has a myriad of competing, competing things that will crush in on us, that, that really vie for our attention, doesn't it? I think this has changed even really just in my own lifetime. I remember as a kid, there really wasn't any sort of Sunday sport. I remember um, the shops not being open past, what, lunchtime on Saturday. That was a thing, right? That was actually a thing. Not anymore. 24-7 world, lots of things competing for our interests, for our energy, and if we're not careful, these things can end up colonizing our very soul. They can end up crushing our, our commitment to Christ. So I think if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ or Christ's one is what that word Christian simply means this coming year, we're going to have to make a deliberate effort. We're going to have to make an explicit effort in word and in deed, in, in naming Jesus Christ as the source of our, of our, of our very, very identity. Our very identity. So, the story goes, of course, that, um, that they're down in Jerusalem. They, they've been down there for the Passover. And, uh, and, and they, they head home. Now, presumably, Joseph and Mary, they think, is with, with family. There's obviously a large enough group of people that they think that, that that is just where he is. But after a while, and if it's anything like in my household, um, I get an elbow in the ribs uh, from my young and beautiful wife saying, check on the kids. And, uh, and, and you can imagine Joseph going around and, and doing that uh, and coming back and saying, Mary, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't find him. Uh, and at that point, you imagine some alarm bells starting to ring. You can imagine them starting to get a bit frantic at this point. They're nowhere. He's nowhere to be seen. He's not with their party, not with their caravan at, at all. There's nothing else for it. They need to rush back to Jerusalem to see if he's still there. They, they must have left him behind back in Back in Jerusalem, they're frantically looking for him for three days, we're told. Now, even back then, Jerusalem was a, a sizable kind of a city, a big city to be looking for a single boy. You can imagine their panic after one, two, three days of not being able to find the boy. I lost Sebastian once in a shopping centre. He was only lost for about 10, 15 minutes, but I was in a panic. It was one of those large, big shopping centres. And I remember, I think I was in Kmart somewhere looking at something, and I had him by my side. And I must have sort of looked up, and he's run off, and I looked down, and he wasn't there. And I've run this way, and he must have run that way, and then he must have run down this. And I couldn't find him. Right? Your mind starts to race. Your mind starts to think the worst. I've lost him. Where is my... And uh, I run down to centre management, and they say, yeah, yeah, he's okay. He's down at the cafe down the bottom. 
And I raced down the bottom, and there he is, and some beautiful elderly couple had him up, perched up on the stool, giving him a baby chino. He was happy as Larry. But I was desperate. I was beside myself with fear and panic. You can only imagine Mary and Joseph after three days looking for, for young Jesus. Is he in the inn? There was room at the inn this time, apparently. No, he's not there. Was, was he with great aunt Ethel, perhaps? No. But uh, they eventually decide to look in the... Uh, in the temple, and, and there he is. He's in the temple with all the teachers of the law, and there's an amazing scene. There's a crowd of people gathered around. He's, he's, he's asking questions of the learned, the learned teachers of the law. He's, people are amazed at, in turn, his wisdom. People are amazed at Jesus' maturity. You can imagine uh, Mary and Joseph's relief and their, and their anger comes through in the text, if you have a look there, with, with Mary sort of blurting out. You can see, hear the little tinge of anger in Mary's voice at this point. Jeez, why did you do this, do this to us? We were worried sick about you. And then Jesus' very telling response. Almost nonchalant, isn't it? It's all very sort of laid back and, and very calm and, and very, very telling. If you've got it open in front of you. He says, oh, well, you shouldn't have been worried, Mum. I'm, I'm okay. And then he says this very, this very profound line. He says, didn't you know I had to be here in my father's house? Now, in the original Greek here, there's a deliberate ambiguity. It could also be translated as, I had to be about my father's business. If you know anything about translation, it's not an exact science, but sometimes... That writers will, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a literary tool, writers will actually deliberately build in some ambiguity into the text. And the scholars think that's the case here with Luke. Had to be in my father's house, or had to be about my father's business. You could interpret it either way. And scholars think, you know, it's actually probably deliberate, because it's probably both. Jesus is, is he's saying, I, I need to be in my father's house, and I need to be about his business. Both of those things. It's a really profound statement from the young 12-year-old Jesus here. It's a really profound statement. It tells us that Jesus has an awareness, even at this young age, of his special relationship with his heavenly Father. You see here that Jesus is already aware that his relationship with God is special, that it is unique, and that he was had a special calling. He needed to be about his father's business, even if it meant not being with his family for some three days. He wasn't going to be diverted no matter what. His, his identity, his calling, his purpose, his allegiance is all about honouring and serving his heavenly father. So it's the application of this text that I think we can quickly turn to, to now, and that is to ask ourselves, well, where is my identity found? Where do, where do I seek to find meaning and purpose or, or grounding and identity for, for me? I mean, who is Peter Chapman? I mean, I mean who, 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 who really are you in, in your essence? I mean, who, who really are you? Who, who or what do you identify as? Of course, uh, when it comes to, to, to identity, Jesus is very much staking his claim here, isn't he? He's staking a claim that he's very identity is, is, is in relationship to his father. 
His identity is defined by his relationship to his heavenly father. These days, of course, identity politics is, is everywhere and there's all sorts of people claiming all sorts of weird and wonderful identities. Uh, people are claiming all sorts of weird and wonderful identities regarding, regarding different genders that seem to be uh, coming, uh, coming on and being created almost on an hourly basis. But even more than, than that now, there are people who with a, a straight face will tell you that they're not even human. There are people now who, who identify as wolves, for example. They identify as, as cats. They will tell you this with a straight face. This is, this is who, how they present themselves to the world. That's how they want to be known. They present themselves as cats or as dragons, even some mythical animals as vampires or elves. They, these, are, these are entire communities of people now who identify as not even, not even being human. It is, in fact, a, a very sad downstream effect of not having a basis in your life of your relationship with your heavenly Father, of rejecting that fundamental truth back there in Genesis that you're, that you're made in, in God's image. You, re you receive your life from your heavenly Father. People try to fill that God-shaped hole in their heart with all manner of, of other nonsense, but... Let's be honest with ourselves. Apart from the, the, the craziness, the pathology of all these different identities in these last few years, it's always been the case, hasn't it, that we humans have always tried to ground ourselves, find our identity in things that are tragically reductionist, far, far less substantial than what they should be via our identity in, in Christ. For blokes, certainly in modern Aussie society, we find our identity, always have for generations, certainly throughout my lifetime, in terms of our work. What's the first thing, first thing blokes ask each other at a barbecue? What's your name? Oh, g'day, Mike. What do we then ask? What do you do? We define ourselves by what we do. You, you, you sort each other out. You, what sport do you play? Or what do you do for work and play? We define ourselves by what we, by what we do. Uh, some other people, maybe women perhaps, uh, define themselves by relationships, by terms, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a mother or I'm a grandmother or, 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 or perhaps some people ex extend the, the tribe a little bit and, and they sort of, well, I, I, I'm an, an Aussie or they might say, well, I'm, I'm Greek or... I, I'm Italian, or I'm a Jew, or, or I'm, I'm Lebanese. There was uh, a, a very famous, uh, very popular song by a former rugby league player called Bo Ryan a few years ago. That simply, the chorus simply said, said, where are you from? Where are you from? Tell me where are you from? Our origin, our tribe, is another very important source of identifying who we are and to whom we belong. These are all, these are all valid things to... These are all valid things in our life to belong to the tribe, to, to, to identify you know, your important relationships in your life, to, to, to have a, a career and a family. None of these things are, are bad things, of course, but they're, they're never going to fill that key, most important relationship you have of your relationship with your heavenly Father through faith in, in Christ. But Jesus here is unambiguous. His identity here... His relationship with God is all wrapped up 
in his face, above anything else, above even his family that are out there frantically, that are out there frantically looking for him. Jesus shows us here that we should first be defined, first and foremost, by our relationship to God and to his business in this world. Who you are uh, via your relationship with God is key. Everything else is peripheral. Who you are is defined by your relationship to God. All else is, is detail. And this is going to have some big implications, I think, for how we live in, in 2023. Everything is going to, should be, uh, really be seen in the light of our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God. Everything should be a downstream consequence of that. The problem we have, of course, in this modern day and age is we're going to be faced with some tough challenges in 2023 because of the busyness of, of modern life. Modern life will come crashing in and will challenge this core identity. We'll be threatened from time to time. All these other demands upon our time, uh, the bonds of family, worthy, worthy things to be investing in, the bonds of our tribe, nationality, these are all worthy things. Our career, our cricket, our tennis, our footy, whatever it is, whatever sport that you commit yourself to, perhaps a community group that you commit yourself to, all worthy things. Um, but they, if they become the thing, if they become the most important thing, that's when the alarm bells should start ringing, I think. So can I in challenge you in 2023 to reorder your allegiances uh, in light of your most important calling as a follower of of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you haven't entered into that most important relationships yet. If, if, if not, can I encourage you to do so today? I come and see me at the end of the service. It will be uh, the best New Year's resolution you, you ever make to identify yourself as a son or a daughter of, of God. It will be the best decision you ever make, the best New Year's resolution you ever make. And in closing... Uh, if we are indeed following Jesus' example here of ordering our allegiances, ordering our priorities, ordering our very sense of self, our identity, by our relationship with God, then some wonderful blessings will, will flow from that. We should be following Jesus' example here by making our identity flow from that commitment. And maybe we too will be worthy of that wonderful description that we find at the end of this story. There's a wonderful little description at the end of this story, at the close of this story that describes Jesus. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. Jesus, who had his priorities right, who had his allegiances all in order, grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favour with both God and man. My prayer for us all, this year, church, is that we each may indeed be growing in wisdom and in stature, in favour with both God and man, with our fellow Aussies in 2023, as together we commit to following Jesus as our example, as our Saviour and Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that you might help us in 2023. We need your help to get our allegiances in order, to get our priorities in order. 
Help us to define ourselves, our very being, via our relationship with you, Lord, our most important relationship. Help us to prioritise our lives the way we spend our time and our money in light of this most important relationship. May all other things flow out from that, Father. Help us to jealously guard this first love. Help us to prioritise when the things of this world come crashing in and make demands upon us. Help us to be seeing your calling in our lives. Help us to be seeing where we should be loving and serving and giving in 2023. Help us to yield our heart, to yield our lives, surrender our lives to you completely in the year ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.